You are live with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got my good friend Carmi Levy with me today. We've got a great uh, program. Uh, we will uh, be looking at social media for kids. There's a bunch of laws passing through different uh, U.S. state uh, uh, legislators uh, that would effectively ban, if passed, uh, social media use for kids under the age of 13. So we'll talk about uh Will that happen? And can they make that happen? Uh, we're also going to be looking uh, at Blue Sky. It's kind of the new Twitter, and uh, there's a lot of Twitter influencers uh, heading over to Blue Sky, especially with Musk's continued craziness with Twitter, which he bought uh, a little while back. Thanks for coming on the program, uh, Carmi. Always great to be here with you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Um, so this is kind of an interesting story. We're going to talk about some of the mobile uh, tech and app stories uh, in the news right now. Uh, some Toronto men were sentenced for stupid, reckless posts that outed a witness on Instagram hip-hop pages. Yeah, this is a, a disturbing story. So there was a, there was a, a trial, a Toronto murder trial, uh, and the judge actually ordered those who are participating in, uh, you know, in the case to not share any content on their social media um, platforms on their on their accounts, and sure enough, what they did was they posted uh, images and audio of one of the witnesses, which of course in a murder trial can you know put that witness uh, at risk, can put the entire process uh, at risk, and sort of cast doubts about the veracity of uh, the trial process. And the judge explicitly ordered them not to, and they went ahead and did so anyway. Um, and and they posted this content. This wasn't just some random account. They posted them to a number of Instagram accounts that had over half a million followers in total. Um, so the Ontario court judge said, you know, he wanted to send a message, um, a strong message of deterrence, saying this kind of abuse of the judicial system, the judicial, judicial process, will not be tolerated. Um, and in fact, uh, they have been sentenced uh, uh, two years, uh, two years of, of uh, you know, additional uh, probation, um, as well as 75 hours of community service, basically saying this is not a it's not a, a light thing. This is a, a huge issue that has implications. People's lives are damaged. And uh, and, and you know, going forward, this is going to be even more of an issue because pretty much everyone is on social media to a, a certain degree. Um, and some of them at some point are going to end up in court. What happens when those two worlds intersect? Now we know. Yeah, unfortunately, the, can you really, I don't know, regulate stupidity? No, you can. And you can't stop it from happening, right? So like if somebody wants to take a photo that they took of a witness and share it on their social media feeds, there's nothing the courts or law enforcement or anyone else can do to stop it. Uh, but what they can do is, after the fact, they can certainly, um, you know, punish those. So they they can they can set a line saying there is a publication ban. But a publication ban in the social media era is very different than one before there was social media. Way back in the day, you simply told court reporters from newspapers, radio stations, television stations, and other media outlets. Just don't share this. And they didn't because they were professionals. And the, the gatekeepers didn't have a whole lot of individuals to deal with. It was just meet members of the media. Well, now anybody with a smartphone in their pocket is a, you know, a member of the social media, can easily share to hundreds of thousands or more followers uh, you know, by taking a photo or recording some audio or some video. And next thing you know, it's up there and it's out there. And the court can't control that, can't stop that from happening, um, the physical act of it but can certainly punish it once it does occur. 
Um, you know, there isn't anything technologically that these platforms can do. There's no way to market uh, as misinformation or disinformation or otherwise disallowed content. Uh, I, I I don't see how, for example, Instagram might be able to tag a video of a witness in a murder trial um, and take it down using using some kind of algorithm. There's no way to stop this. And you're right. You can't legislate stupidity. You can't legislate behavior. You can't force people to behave in a certain way. All you can do is punish them if they cross a legal line, and that's what seems to have happened here. Let's move over to a, a Twitter story. Uh, Twitter is going to let media pub- publishers charge per article starting in May. Is this going to make a dent in anything? Uh, you know, I think Elon Musk, ho- Elon Musk hopes it will, but no, I think this is just another... He tends to do this often late at night. He'll post something, um, you know, almost like a, an off-the-cuff tweet. And that's really what this is. He's saying that users of the platform, he'll, he calls it a one-click service, um, and they'll be able to avoid media subscriptions and pay per article starting, and he said this right at the end of April, starting next month. Um, I always take Elon Musk's timelines with a huge grain of salt because he always misses his self-imposed deadlines, and sometimes they never see the light of day. What I do know is that uh, his advertising revenue has crashed. Uh, he has admitted that Twitter is worth less than half the $44 billion that he paid for it last year. I'd say that's probably an optimistic number. It's probably worth even less. So advertising money significantly reduced. He's trying to raise subscription-based revenue through Twitter Blue, um, and that's not going very well. Most people are not signing up for it. In fact, internal leaked information suggests that they're making in the range of hundreds of thousands of dollars per month from this. Um, So not a lot of money. It's basically like a drop in the ocean. So he needs the revenue, and he's going to be making announcements of things like this. You can buy one article. You don't have to subscribe to the Toronto Star, uh, but you can buy one article from them. Um, Considering that he's been fighting media for months and he's essentially made it clear that he doesn't (laughs) like them and doesn't trust them, why a media outlet would even want to get into this kind of arrangement with Elon Musk, I don't know. Um, But this strikes me as yet another example of Musk's desperate behavior, and I don't expect it to really go anywhere anytime soon, if at all. It's kind of in a free fall, really. Like, I I don't know how he's going to bring it back up anymore. Um, he He can sell it. Uh, yeah. That's pretty much the only way that Twitter is ever going to reverse its dive. Um, under Musk, it's turned into a, it's a joke. Let's let's be clear. I've been using Twitter all, almost since the beginning. Certainly as a member of the media, you know, it's it's been a great tool for me. Um, but the, the level of chaos, the, you know, the so-called signal to noise ratio, lots more noise now than there used to be and a lot less utility. And every day there seems to be another announcement where whereby that utility goes down. So, you know, now he is he is now charging access to the API, the application programming interface that companies use to drive automation. So, for example, the weather service, when it tweets out, you know, that there's a weather warning, that uses the API. And up until now, weather networks and weather stations and, you know, Environment Canada, that have you, they've had free access to the API. Now he wants to charge tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars to organizations to maintain access to the api and what are the organizations saying we're not going to pay for it we're just going to turn the automation off so now we used to rely on twitter for automated notifications of weather or sports or you know we used to be able to share directly from apps one by one all of those things are, are turning off the lights are going off and so the utility that we had in this platform is gradually disappearing at some point we're going to look at alternatives like blue sky and go you know what 
there's there's something better across the street. It's time to make the switch. Elon Musk ruined a good thing. He killed the goose that laid the golden egg. We're going to have to take a break here on the app show. When we come back, so much more to talk about. Uh, a number of U.S. states are looking to ban the use of social media for kids under the age of 13. Uh, and we'll also be talking about Blue Sky. Is it the new Twitter? And a lot more. You're listening to the app show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike and Carmi here in studio. Uh, we're going to chat now about social media when it comes to kids. Uh, I think a lot of us feel that it might not be the best uh, communication method uh, that kids should be using, but they're all in there using Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat. I think a lot of studies have shown that it's detrimental to the health of young people. And it looks like a lot of uh, U.S. states think that as well. And there's a, a number of them that are looking to pass laws that would ban kids under the age of 13 from joining social media. Uh, is is this a big thing, Carmi? It is. It's certainly growing. Uh, the momentum is definitely growing. I mean, and I say that in disclosure, when my kids were that age, you know, we set them up on social media. All their friends were on. We did it in a supervised manner, but they were not 13 at the time. And like many parents, I will admit it and I will take my lumps, but um, we signed them up before their time. And yeah, we didn't use their actual birth date. We advanced the year by, you know, a couple. Um, and that is incredibly common. And now there are laws that are on their way in the U.S. The latest one is called Protecting Kids on Social Media Act that would basically ban kids from under 13 from creating accounts on social media. And it would also hold social media platforms accountable for the algorithms that they use to target kids between 13 and 17 years old. Um, that uh, and, and that anyone who is under 18 would require parental consent before they can create a profile. Up until now, it's essentially been a free-for-all. Uh, social media companies have had this generally agreed to age, 13, below which they will not go. Uh, Instagram, of course, raised a hue and cry when it suggested that it was going to introduce a kid's uh, version for kids younger than that, and then they, they canceled it when everyone complained. Um, so, you know, I think there's there's an understanding in the industry that something needs to be done because up until now, it's kind of been the Wild West, and it's really been up to parents to decide how they want to help their kids navigate it. On the one hand, as a parent, you want to you want to teach your kid digital skills. You want them to grow up learning this, and 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 you and you want to do it alongside them. On the other hand, uh, you don't want them exposed to any un unnecessary risk from what can be a pretty tumultuous social media landscape. So, you know, parents have been navigating this largely on their own. Kids lucky enough to have parents who care um, have been able to navigate this. Kids who don't, who are essentially handed devices and you know allowed to do as they wish, they're the ones who suffer. And that the legislation that we're seeing uh, being proposed in the U.S. right now, that would likely target these kids more. For parents who are already engaged in you know digital child raising, uh, that's less of an issue. They, they really don't need much of the government's help. They've pretty much got it already. So, Carmi, as everything in the U.S., it's always politicized. Are we mm -hmm. seeing this more Republican or more Democratic? I'm actually pleasantly surprised, Mike. This is one of those rare instances where the support for these pieces of legislation is bipartisan. So it's getting support. And in fact, these these uh, proposals are being carried forward by both Republicans and Democrats. And they're all saying that, you know, 
they, they deal with family issues that are important to everyone, regardless of their political stripes. And so, you know, if there's hope for the future, uh, it certainly lies in this because they can certainly look beyond their political differences and recognize that they all want what's best for kids. There are a number of other acts and pieces of legislation that are in the pipeline in the U.S. on this. There's the Earn It Act. Uh, there's also something called the Kids Online Safety Act and something called the Mature Act. And all of these are sort of, very, you know, they deal with various facets of kids and online safety. And without exception, they are all being pushed uh, and they have all been drafted and proposed and supported uh, by both Democrats and Republicans. And I think that is uh, a pretty good piece of news because essentially it means that they stand a much better chance of surviving uh, to an eventual vote and actually becoming a law because everyone stands behind them. I, I guess I, I look at this and I'm like a couple things and we'll get into that enforcement. Like, how do you make sure this happens? But at the same time, if it's just like a few states here and there, like how is that really effective if not everyone is on board? You know what I mean? If it's just like Texas or Utah, uh, yeah. do you know what I mean? Oh, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, and we've seen similar, you know, it, you know, technology related legislation in Canada when it's brought forward by provinces versus, you know, by the federal government. You would always rather have the federal government apply it across the land than have it sort of you know, proceed piecemeal across the country. And I think the same logic applies in the U.S. Um, and so, you know, the good news here is that, yes, while individual states have uh, both proposed and passed laws that, uh, that you know, force a certain level of accountability on big social and big tech companies, um, what we're seeing now is kind of like the phase two of that, where at a at a, a Washington level, at a national level, we're seeing um, um, legislation, uh, you know, from there that will apply to every state and there won't be exceptions. And so um, I think the U.S. is finally getting it. Canada um, will certainly, you know, get it at some point. Um, but I think we need to set our expectations regardless of whether it's at state level or at, at a national level. Um, the ultimate accountability for this really does rest with the family. I, I would not rely on the government to keep my kids safe online. At the end of the day, they're my kids, it's my responsibility. And so too many parents uh, seem to think that, oh, there's a law in place, I'm good. Uh, you know, I, I'm just gonna hand the smartphone, smartphone over to my kid and let them do what they want because I'm not a tech expert. Um, but in reality, uh, parents owe their kids more and you don't have to be an expert in how this technology works in order to be uh, an appropriate shepherd um, of social media best practice as your kids try to figure out what's right and what's wrong and sort of where they fit into this evolving landscape. Um, you know, parenting is still parenting. And yes, we live in a technology age, but that hasn't changed and it won't change. And laws aren't going to change that. And it's it's even when the laws are in place, um, you know, it's, it, it isn't enough. The, the risk with a law in place is that uh, parents think that because there's legislative protection that they can ease off the gas a little bit. And that's absolutely not the case at all. Ultimate accountability still starts and ends at home. Yeah, but Carmi, like you even mentioned earlier uh, that you helped your kids get online by fudging the age. So mm -hmm. um, again, there's going to be ways around this, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. And there is no technology that is ever infallible and, you know, completely uh, invulnerable to this kind of fudging around the edges. Uh, and so if parents want to want to bypass it because, you know, they want to they want to be the shepherds of their kids journey, then they'll absolutely be able to law or no law. Um, and in fact, these pieces of legislation really don't have any recommendations in terms of how the technology should change. So looking at the app, for example, um, that there isn't anything that, you know, stops me from, it might make it a little bit harder. So in other words, I might have to upload a, a government piece, you know, government issued ID 
but I'm pretty sure there's a workaround to that as well. And so there will always be ways uh, if you know enough about the technology. Uh, but but like to me, that's still a good thing. It's It means that we're talking about it. It means that parents are engaged. It means the governments are aware of the issues and that they're trying to provide support to parents. Um, and the problem for so many years is that social media apps proliferated and there wasn't any of that support. And a lot of parents had to figure it out for themselves. Um, you know, and I'm a bit of a ringer because I work in the sector. Um, but, you know, so many other parents would come to me at, you know, school functions and like, I don't even know where to start, Carmi. And, 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 you know, so a law isn't going to help them. Um, but at least it starts the conversation and it makes more visible what should have been visible from the start. Um, and I, and it also holds big tech, big social a little more accountable than they have been up until now, up until now companies have been allowed to kind of do what they want. And if they behaved in a way that ran counter to kids' best interests, there was no opportunity for punishment or consequences. This at least creates a framework where that can happen. So hopefully the Facebooks and the Twitters of the world will behave a little bit better and do more right by our kids going forward if laws like this are in place. I always look over to the European Union. Are they doing anything about this? Because they always kind of lead the way in this digital stuff. Yeah, they, it's interesting. They don't have a particular sort of child-centric social media law, but their their privacy law, the General Data Protection uh, Regime, so the GDPR, that actually has uh, clauses that are age-based. And so um, it, it, it imposes a higher level of accountability on companies for uh, for protecting kids' uh, data, for making sure that algorithms don't overstep the line, um, and for ensuring a certain level of transparency from these organizations that deal with kids and their data. So it isn't as sort of cut and dried, specifically focused at kids and social media, but you know, the, at the end of the day, the impact is pretty much the same. And that GDPR, in fact, has uh, served as the basis for uh, privacy-led legislation, data stewardship legislation here uh, in North America as well. In fact, can California's CCPA is based largely on that, uh, and Canada, as they have sort of you know tried to you know up our privacy legislation, we certainly looked at the GDPR for uh, for some guidance and inspiration as well. We're going to have to take another break when we come back. More tech to talk here on the App Show. Stay tuned. You are back with the App Show. Mike and Carmi here. Uh, we talk a lot about Twitter on our, our, our programs because it's it's a dumpster fire. Elon Musk uh, purchased it for $44 billion. Uh, some would say it's worth half that now. Some would say even less. And uh, it seems now that uh, even Twitter influencers are fleeing to other avenues. One of those would happen to be Blue Sky. So, Carmi, let's uh, go through some of this here. What is Blue Sky? So Blue Sky is an app. It's it's not available publicly. It's available in what's called public beta. So tens of thousands of people are using it now. But if you and I want to use it, we've got to go to uh, their homepage and sign up for uh, for the wait list, which I've done. I'd suggest if you're interested in it, you do the same thing. When you do get it, it looks and works a lot like Twitter. It's missing some of the key features, but it, you you still you're allowed to share public messages that are like tweets. Um, you're still able to respond to other people's messages. You still follow people; they follow you. Um, it almost looks like a Twitter clone. The interface is actually shockingly like it. The difference is underneath. So it's designed in what they like to call decentralized, uh, using decentralized architecture, which basically means that Twitter, unlike Twitter, which is kind of like a closed or walled garden, you sign up for Twitter, 
Um, you follow people, they follow you. All of your data is kind of in there. And if you want to leave Twitter, you can't, but you're not taking all your stuff with you. You, you, you lose all your followers. You got to start from scratch when you start somewhere else. What a decentralized model does, it allows you to pick uh, sort of how your service evolves. And, and when you, if you do decide to leave Blue Sky at some point, the architecture allows you to take all your stuff with you. You want to keep your network? Blue Sky will allow you to do that. And that's a really big deal because the problem with Twitter is Elon Musk came along, you know, followed a scorched earth, pol scorched earth policy. Now a lot of people really don't like it and they want to get out, but they're not leaving because they're, they're worried. Um, with Blue Sky, which was created by the guy who founded Twitter, Jack Dorsey, um, you know, that essentially means it will never be taken over by a billionaire. It will never be subject to the whims of someone whose interests lie more with himself than with the community that he serves. And so it's it's it, it almost feels like an open source software project where, you know, everyone's interests are, are, are you know, above the interest of, you know, a billionaire CEO. Um, and it's almost like the anti-Twitter. Um, and it is getting, in fact, between there was a two day period last week where Bloomberg reported that um, that uh, signups for the, the platform for Blue Sky doubled within the course of a day as the as uh, influencers fled Twitter and started to sign up for Blue Sky. So of all of the the kind of wannabe Twitters, Mastodon, Post, Hive, Noster, um, those which kind of flared and then dropped back down because no one was on them. This is the one that holds the most potential to be the next Twitter that kind of addresses all of the things that we hate about Twitter and, in fact, has been created by the guy who founded Twitter in the first place and then left. So absolutely fascinating story. Did not see that coming. Um, but the fact that it's happening, I think, gives a lot of people hope that maybe they can have their cake and eat it, too. If Blue Sky does fly, whereas, whereas others have failed, this could be the alternative to Twitter that we've been looking for. I'm just wondering how likely this is. We've seen a lot of other kind of messaging platforms try to uh, get into that Twitter verse, you know, be competitive. I know mm -hmm. there's a conservative parlor. Uh, there's also Mastodon, which is a decentralized kind of Twitter-like messaging platform. But they both have not really uh, been able to to take a dent out of the Twitterverse. Yeah, no question. In fact, Parler was just shut down a couple of weeks ago. Clubhouse, which uh, flared pretty big a couple of years ago, also uh, DOA. Um, you know, as it turns out, uh, you know, uh, politically polarized platforms that are were sold as alternatives to Twitter did not do well. Um, you know, mass to its credit, Macedon Post and Hive uh, were not politically focused, but they suffered from lack of network effect. Right, you sign up for it, and then you load it up, and you're like, well. Oh, where are all my friends? And so you're on it, you downloaded it, but now there, there's like, you know, there's no one to talk to. And that's, that's the reason why they haven't taken off. So with Blue Sky, what's happening, what's different with Blue Sky is that a lot of the people who were really big on Twitter, like for example, Chrissy Teigen has just, she's model, she was huge, was, you know, one of the original influencers on Twitter. She's quit Twitter and now she's on Blue Sky. Um, and so if you get enough of these kind of, I call them roots, right? They're like hooks. You know, people who other people will follow once they gain access to the platform, you stand a better chance of gaining that kind of momentum and overcoming that network effect, you know, that emptiness that we saw on all the other alternatives. And so there's no guarantee that'll happen, but certainly there's more to it. There's more momentum here with Blue Sky than there was with those other platforms. And that's why I'm watching this one a little bit more closely. And I'm kind of hoping I get my invite code soon because I'd really love to try it out myself. Yeah, you mentioned Clubhouse. I almost forgot about Clubhouse. Uh, and for the listeners out there, uh, 
that didn't even know what Clubhouse was. That was kind of a kind of a social media app, but it came to audio. You would actually mm-hmm. kind of join uh, little groups uh, talking to each other online and listen to audio clips. And uh, I've, I've just read uh, recently they've laid off half their staff, 50% of their staff, because they're just not, uh, I guess, cutting it. Yeah, they're DOA. And like so many other alternatives to established social media platforms, right? They, they started off with lots of promise you know we're going to strike out on our own because we believe that you know and a lot of it came from the right side of the political spectrum they felt that mainstream social media was censoring them uh, again no objective uh, evidence that that was the case but that was their perception so they created these new platforms um but i mean i think in the end the, the fact that only half of the political spectrum was there made them not such fun places to hang out and who really wants to sit in an audio room for hours on end listening to the same thing? It's one thing to scroll through your Twitter feed, quite another to listen to it all day, every day. This is not compelling talk radio. It wasn't. And I believe me, I tried. Uh, but it was as boring to me as it was to everyone else that I knew. And eventually, uh, uh, none of my network moved over to any of these platforms either. Um, and so I think they're rightfully dead. And I think, you know, unless you can, you can obtain kind of the broad-based kind of support that the Twitters and the Facebooks and the Instagrams have achieved over the years, you're not going to succeed and that a politically motivated platform is uh, essentially doomed to fail for exactly that reason. The network will never reach critical mass. We're seeing that now. Blue Sky is uh, delightfully non-political um, and uh, and hopefully it will, uh, you know, kind of get us back to what Twitter was when, you know, in the early days when uh, it was just a really cool service that no one had ever seen before and it allowed people to do things that they couldn't do elsewhere. Uh, it evolved into something significantly darker and hopefully Blue Sky gets us back to that. We're going to have to take a break when we come back. More tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here with Carmi Levy. Well, it looks like uh, Apple and Google are actually working on something together. They are major competitors in uh, many ways, uh, but they have uh, jointly submitted a proposed industry specification to help combat the misuse of Bluetooth location tracking devices for unwanted tracking. And I think this comes down to a lot of these small little tags. Now, Apple has their Air Tags, there's Tile Trackers, uh, Samsung has their own uh, little uh, tracking devices uh, as well. And we've seen some bad stories, you know, some people uh, using them to steal cars or track, uh, you know, loved ones who they think they're their loved ones. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, with any technology, yes, it can be used badly. Uh, but, you know, I guess in Apple's case, uh, they've, you know, tried from the very beginning to, to make sure that there were safeguards uh, in place. But now it looks like these two tech giants are wanting to, to drive this further so that it's like a, an overall industry uh, specification they're working on. Yeah, certainly these these tracking devices, and I've had tile devices. I I currently use AirTags just because you know that's what my family uses, and we've had great experiences when we travel with them. They're incredibly convenient, but like many technologies, especially anything involving wireless connectivity, there's always a dark side, and and there is the potential for it to be misused. And while Apple and Samsung and Tile and others, to their credit, have introduced. Uh, you know, some fixes of their own to try to minimize the potential for, for example, a jealous boyfriend from stalking his partner, um, you know, or, you know, uh, you know, someone, someone, you know, putting it on a car um, and tracking someone's location that way or using it to steal a car. Um, the reality is, is these have been proprietary solutions. In other words, 
Apple would introduce it onto AirTags, but if you had a tile, you had to wait for the, for that company to introduce its own uh, updated protection. Same thing with Samsung. And and while they all have done so, the industry has sort of been moving very slowly because everyone's working on their own solution. There is no common platform. There's no common technology, common standard. Um, and so I think it makes sense for the major manufacturers to set aside their competitive drive for a little while and put their heads together and say, how do we solve this as an industry? Because right now, they've, they, they're they no longer selling these devices. Anyone who would have bought a, an AirTag or a Tile as an early adopter has already done so. Everyone else is now going to be sitting on the sidelines going, I keep hearing that they're being used for stalking. I keep hearing that they're being used by thieves to steal cars or to break into houses or, or to do all sorts of other crazy things. I'm not going to buy one. And so I think the industry recognized that now that they're starting to sell to less techie consumers um, who are worried about the headlines that they're seeing, that they've got to raise their security game and they've got to figure it out together. And the only way to do that is through a partnership. Uh, and I think this is the right time to do it. It's the right thing to do. Um, and ultimately, it'll mean better tracking devices for all of us, more secure tracking devices for all of us, and fewer disturbing headlines where people get hurt or worse because they dared use something that, you know, all they wanted to do was help find their luggage. So this is a win-win-win for everyone. Um, and I think it's kind of long overdue, frankly. Uh, you know, Apple and, and Google and Samsung and others should have been reaching out to each other years ago as these headlines first started to break. But I guess better late is, you know, better late than never. Wouldn't it be nice if they all worked together, like tile <laughs> trackers and, oh, I know you're laughing. Oh, yeah, you know, that, that's, that's kind of like the push-pull of technology, right? On the one hand, different vendors, it, it works to consumers' advantage if different solutions from different companies uh, use common standards. That's why when I send an email from my Gmail account to my friend who's using Microsoft Outlook, that they can receive it and they can email back to me. So because despite the fact that they're different email systems, and different email technologies, they all use common technologies so they can communicate with each other. It would, and so the industry recognized it makes sense for everyone to be on the same page. Uh, you would hope that the same logic would play out with uh, with Bluetooth-based trackers. We're not quite there yet because they still want to make their money and they still want to knock the competition. But who knows? Maybe this partnership will be the first of many. Maybe that we will see greater interoperability between, say, a tile device and an AirTag. I don't think it's as big a deal in this case because these aren't super expensive anyway. You buy a, an Apple AirTag for you know forty bucks or one hundred and twenty for four, um, and it's and you know so they're fairly cheap. You throw them in your luggage, you throw them in your bag, whatever your kid's backpack. Um, we don't give them much thought, but I think that entire issue of the technology industry not doing enough to enforce common standards or create common standards and then enforce them. I think it works against consumers. It means devices don't work well together. They cost more than they should, and they're probably not as secure as they could be. So maybe this is a step in the right direction. Maybe this will encourage them to be a little bit more cooperative going forward. But I've been covering the tech industry long enough to know that's probably not the case because profitability still rules. Apple's, I feel, kind of led kind of the whole privacy side of these these trackers mm -hmm. more, more so yeah, than the I other guys. In the industry, I, I, I think so too. I think part of it is because I remember, like, Tile was the first truly successful Bluetooth-based tracker. 
But you know, the reason tile didn't, it, it, you know, it didn't grow beyond that. We don't really talk about them to the same degree as we used to. They're not as visible. They're not as successful because it's kind of like the first generation of Palm Pilots. Yeah, they innovated and they introduced something to the market, but they didn't scale very well. Uh, and then, you know, as the market grew beyond those early adopters, they, you know, they were kind of like a one-trick pony. Apple's, you know, so Apple took that same basic technology and they incorporated it into the billions of devices that we already use. I don't have a Tile phone, but I do have an Apple phone. And Apple in, Apple engineered their AirTags so that it's part of the, the global Find My Network that every single Apple device now supports. So the value of an Apple AirTag versus a Tile, even if the price is the same, I get a lot more out of an Apple AirTag because there's a much greater likelihood that it'll actually find what I want it to find because it'll always be able to communicate with billions of other Apple devices out there as it's moving its way through the airport and you know through the bus station and all that stuff. Um, tile can't offer that. And so you know I have to give Apple credit they don't just look at the hardware, they look at the ecosystem and they ask themselves, how do these different devices communicate with each other to add value? Um, yes, it introduces some security concerns, which they are working through, um, but I think it it forces us to recognize that when we buy a piece of hardware, we're not just buying the physical device, we're buying the network behind it. And sometimes, uh, even if it's a little bit more expensive, it may be worth it in the end, because I, I was never able to find luggage that got lost with a tile, but I certainly was with an AirTag. And that's all because of Apple's network, the, the power of the Apple network that tile never had. It's true. Like I, I've had a few tiles and um, yeah, I don't think I ever found <laughs> things when they were lost with uh, yeah. the tile, but the air tag, no problem. That was pretty, pretty good. Oh yeah. It's and, and not, like to me, I, I love now that we're back to, you know, flying every once in a while, every time that we've flown, uh, there's always this moment in the airport where, you know, we, we stop and we sit down and we pull out our phones and we're like, oh, I wonder where our luggage is now. That's kind of a fun aspect to travel, <laughs> and and and, it, and it's kind of cool. But at the same time, it also makes you feel a little bit more comfortable. You feel in control, and so that when your luggage does go astray, you at least have the ability to go up to the airline official and say, "Look, you know, show them your phone, and I know where it is. Can you please take care of it for me?" And that's happened to us. And li literally within ten minutes, we had our luggage back because we showed them. If we that hadn't been the case, we would probably still be at the airport to this day. Yeah, we'd be seeing you on CTV News. <laughs> I can't find my luggage. That's right. Tech guy can't find luggage. Details at 11. <laughs> it will be interesting to see how many other manufacturers will get behind uh, the new specifications and standards. Uh, there are a few other companies, like uh, we mentioned. Tile is probably the big one uh, out there. Uh, there's also uh, another company called Chipolo. They've got the Chipolo card spot. Uh, kind of make a, a tracker for wallets. Uh, there's also Geobit, and that's J-O-G-I-O-B-I-T. Uh, they've got the Geobit smart tag, and this is uh, uh, apparently a very good tracker for kids and uh, pets. And like we had mentioned, uh, Samsung, they've got uh, Samsung Galaxy smart tags uh, as well. Uh, you know, I, I use my AirTags uh, all the time. I had used Tile ones uh, in the past. So, uh, you know, I do love having that ability to track things down. Uh, I have found myself that the AirTags are probably the most uh, 
kind of reliable and probably the best network, uh, as Carmi had uh, mentioned uh, as well, just literally millions of Apple devices uh, around the world to uh, track these things down. And it works uh, in conjunction with their whole Find Me network. So it's not just the AirTags, but all, you know, iPhones, iPads, and uh, laptops uh, as well. So, you know, you're going to have to check that uh, out. Uh, We do have a sister show. It's called Get Connected, and it airs every Saturday here on the Chorus Radio Network. I've been doing it for, geez, I think almost uh, 15 to 20 years. I've kind of lost track of time. On uh, Get Connected this week, we are going to be talking about uh, Microsoft, and they've confirmed they're ending their support of Windows 10 in uh, a few years. Uh, There are millions of Windows 10 users out there. You might be one as well. You might not even know what uh, operating system uh, you're working with uh, on the Windows side, but uh, Windows 11 is kind of the latest, so they are encouraging folks to uh, upgrade to the latest version. But what we're going to talk about on uh, the Get Connected show, which, again, you should uh, tune into or uh, get the podcast version on our website, getconnectedmedia.com or your favorite uh, podcast uh, station, is what if your machine is not capable of being upgraded to Windows 11. There are some new chips in place for security that uh, are required to have Windows 11. And if you have an older machine, it's just not going to work. So that's kind of an important thing uh, to keep in mind. We will also be talking about some really interesting technology. Scientists are experimenting with using brainwaves to unlock our tech, like smartphones, much like we use fingerprints or our face to unlock our iPhones. Apparently, our brainwaves have a unique signature as well, individual to every single person. And so they've uh, actually been able to do this. We'll uh, dive a little bit deeper into that. And social media. Is it scattering our brains? We're just inundated, whether that's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, with a constant barrage of information, entertainment, photos. Well, some people are saying that it scatters your brain, which essentially kind of distracts you and makes you potentially buy more stuff on social media. So uh, if you have found yourself uh, buying too much uh, junk, you'll want to stay tuned for that as well. I want to thank Carmi Levy for coming in studio today. This is Mike Agarbo signing off. We will see you again next time.